Church, I just um, want to welcome you here this morning. It's good to have you, each and every one of you here today. I pray that the, the Holy Spirit will, you may take your seats, thank you. Can we just thank our worship team this morning? I just want to thank them for the humility and their brokenness in worship. What an amazing time to, together in the presence of our Lord. One day we're just going to carry on, is that okay? So church, I just pray this morning that the Holy Spirit will anoint this word, He will anoint my lips, and that the, the eyes of our hearts will be opened to His truth this morning. May He lead us along the best pathway for our life, and may we truly be open to allow His word to change us today. And may we leave here this morning with purpose in our hearts, amen? Because we can never be the same once we truly know who He is, Amen. So church, I have a message this morning that, that I have in my heart that I want to share with you. Because I just have this burning urgency that we as the church, we need to be strong and courageous. As the church, we need to be strong and courageous and we need to be united. You know, there's so many crazy things going on in the world these days and as the church, we need to come together. Right? And as Christ followers, we need to be immovable. We need to be unshakable and stable. What do you say about that, Shoni? Stable. <laughs> so I want to begin this morning by reading the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter number 3. If you'd like to, there to go there in your Bibles, and we'll start reading from verse 1. And talking about this world that we live in. And it's an interesting passage because... It starts off as, as Paul tells Timothy in verse 1. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now that phrase, times of difficulty, literally means terrible times. It means that terrible times are, are coming in the last days. And then he says in verse 2 to 7, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, and without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So Paul explains to Timothy and says, in the last days, it's going to get really bad. It's going to get terrible. And he goes through this list and explains why it's going to get so bad. But the thing that we need to know about this list, church, is just, he wasn't just talking about the world. He wasn't talking just about the atheist or the agnostic. He's talking about the church. And he says why it's going to get so horrible in these days is because in the church, you're going to have these people that have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. He says you're going to have these people that keep learning and, and keep learning and, and puff themselves up with knowledge. But they never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. He says, I want you to avoid such people. 
And Paul makes it clear to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, where he says, I'm not talking about the people in the world. He says, if you want to disassociate yourself with them, just remove yourself from the world. He says, I'm talking about the ones that call themselves brothers and sisters. And here he says in 2 Timothy, be careful in the church because there's going to come a time where he says, people will be lovers of self. And the crazy thing about this list that we, we read in the scripture this morning, church, nowadays, most of the things in this list, we just kind of shrug it off. We don't even see it as terrible sins anymore, even, even in the church. We read where it says, don't be disobedient to parents, and we kind of just shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, that's, that's just the way it is these days. That's how children behave. You know, children have rights too, you know. And is it that we are more surprised these days when children actually obey their parents or respect their elders or their teachers? I'm sure the teachers in the house will agree with that. And you know what? That type, type of attitude has is, is crept into the church. And we just kind of say, you know, what can we do about it? It's, it's just the times that we live in. And you see, this is, there is this idea of lovers of self. I was listening to a preacher the other day, and he was talking about this passage and, and the phrase lovers of self. And he says the reason why the phrase lovers of self is put right at the top of the list is because it's the funnel through which all other garbage flows through. This, this love of yourself. That's why it says lovers of self and then lovers of pleasure and so on and so on. Why do you love money? Because you love yourself. Why are you proud? Because you love yourself. Why are you arrogant? Because you love yourself. Why are you abusive? Because you don't think about what other people or what other people think of. You just think about yourself. You see, this is the self-love that has become so normal in our world today. You know, if you turn on the television or if you just listen to, to the music on the radio these days, it's all about loving yourself and esteeming yourself above everyone else. It's about breaking everyone else down that try to break you down and putting yourself on a pedestal because I'm on the right track, baby. I was just born this way. Some of you may know those lyrics, others maybe not. <laughs> it's worldly music, huh? <laughs> That's why Paul says, be careful in, in the last times it's going to get crazy. Because people are going to be lovers of themselves. And even in the church, you, you, you hear this creeping in where people will say that you must love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is a scripture. But they say, let's, let's start focusing more on loving ourselves so that we can truly love our neighbors because we don't love ourselves enough. And the truth is we focus too much on what we want and, and what we can get. Every time we get together with other people, we talk about ourselves and, and what we've done and, and what we've achieved. You know, let's talk about me and how I can love me and how you can love me. And you know, that's, and I'm, I'm speaking of the extremes now, I know, church, but that seems to be the norm these days. The scripture says that people will be heartless. They will be unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And again, how many times are we seeing it nowadays, even in the church, where the church is trying to draw people in through pleasure? Come on. If you, allow, if you follow God, He'll help you. 
He'll make you rich and everyone in your family is going to be healthy. You'll have your family back. You'll have your business back. Don't you want to follow that type of God? And you see, it's, it's, it's all about you and it's all about pleasure. And people are saying, well, you know, let me try that. You know, if that's going to restore my marriage and it's going to make my children love me again, and I don't have to make too many sacrifices in my own life, if that's going to take away my disease and take away my sickness, and that's going to help me become a millionaire, then, then let me give that a go. And you see, church, there's a, a gospel being preached out there that if you follow Jesus, you'll get all this stuff. Instead of saying, if you follow Jesus, you'll get Jesus. Amen? And that's enough right there because Jesus will be your shepherd and you won't want for anything. Your cup will run over. So if we look at the world and we, we look at where we're at and we look at the church, I have to say to myself, now is the time for us to become strong, courageous, and, and for us to come together. For the church to get together and to link arms. And say, these things are going to happen in these times, but, but not, not, not for me. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to us. And you know what? That's what I would admire about Paul when he would tell Timothy things and say, the world is going to become this way. But as for you, but as for you, man of God, not you. Okay, he says, this is going to happen in your future, but this is what I require from you. And that's what I was praying for in the preparation for the message today is that you and I would be strong and courageous and that we would come together. Because the world is getting crazy around us. I think we can all agree to that. Who knows what's going to happen next? Everything seems to just unfold in front of our eyes. The writing is on the wall and day by day it seems like there is something new that goes against this book. And it's accelerating at a rapid pace. The world hates this book and what it stands for. And we need to be prayerful on how to live our lives in these times because it seems like there are certain things that are inevitable of, how, of where our world is going to go. The Bible says that. And church, perhaps our job is not to keep our eyes on the storm or keep our eyes on all the chaos that's going on outside in the world. But maybe we need to focus on keeping our ship intact and to make sure that we're on course and to make sure that we're heading in the right direction and to make sure that the crew that is on board is strong and courageous and united. And who's the crew? That's me and you. Amen? It's the body of Christ. It is the church. And as you read 2 Timothy, that's, that's what he's saying here. This is going to happen, but you, the church, what are you going to do amidst that? Are you going to stay the course? Are you going to stay encouraged and, and focused and go forward despite what's happening around you? And you know, sometimes the storms will throw you this way and that way. They'll throw you back and forth and, and left and right, and, and people are getting thrown overboard. But we need to keep the course. We need to keep this going because we need to keep heading in the right direction. Amen? You see, this is about the church. And I think a lot of times we need to pay less attention to the world and more attention to the church. Why am I saying that? Because we need to look inwards before we can have an outward impact. 
That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. He's saying, don't judge the world. He says, look at yourselves. That's what we're called to do first. First, look at ourselves. So we need to ask ourselves questions like, are you personally secure and strong and courageous now? Are you deeply in love with your Savior? Will you go against the flow or the norm because you love Him? Will you be willing to be persecuted for, for speaking the truth of the gospel? Are you in love with people? Are you in love with this family of God? You know, church, something I really had to ask myself as Pastor Renata and I came into ministry in the beginning of the year and understanding the responsibility that we have before God to, to this flock, His flock here at Frontline Church. You know, if you can remember when we were inaugurated, we were given the name list of all the people that attend this church. And that, thanks to the Lord, He's adding to those numbers daily. And I've had to ask myself the question, Lord, can I, can I really love your congregation? Can I love these people the way that you intended me to love them? Because church, I run the risk of walking on this platform week after week, just delivering a message without truly loving you. And if I really care for you and I really love you, what would I say to you that would make a difference in your life one day when you stand before God? So I've been asking the Lord to, to help me to really love and care the way that He does. And even right now as I'm preaching, I pray that God would help me to really care, to, to really believe that I'm doing something to use whatever spiritual gift I have to bless you. And to give you sound teaching because, because I love you. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, he says, look, Timothy, in the last days, a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, as for you, man of God, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says, Timothy, there's going to be a time when no one puts up with this anymore. But as for you, let them go. They're going to go. They're just going to find themselves a teacher to, to tell them whatever they want to hear. Why? Because they are lovers of pleasure. You know, if they want to get divorced, they'll, they'll find someone with a doctor to tell them it's okay to get a divorce. They want to have sex outside of marriage. They'll find someone with a degree to tell them and exploit them and tell them it's okay to do that. They'll just find someone to tell them whatever they want to hear. You want to abort your child? You, you want to marry someone of the, of the same sex? I'll find you a doctor of philosophy that will tell you it's fine. You want to stop believing in hell? I'll find you a Christian author that will tell you that God is a God of love and only love and that there's no wrath to come, there's no judgment to come. There's many Christian books out there that will tell you the same thing. What do you want to believe? What is your pleasure? What would you like? I'll find you a philosopher that will give you a way out of the truth into your pleasure. 
But Paul tells Timothy, don't you be one of those guys. He says, you know what this book says? You preach it. You lay it out there. Now's the time to stay the course. Now's the time to stay strong. Because there's a time that's coming when people will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God. And not lovers of the morality that, that comes out of this book. So church, we need to, to look at ourselves and ask the question, what are, we, what are we modeling here? Am I a man or a woman who gets on his or her face and adores God and, and gets alone with his word and gets convicted and says, no matter what's happening around me, I'm willing to spread this truth. I'm willing to lay it out there. Am I willing to be attacked for preaching or for speaking the truth of the morality in this book? So where are we today? Because Jesus says something really amazing in this next scripture that I, I want to read to you from the book of John. The last time that Jesus had with his disciples in John chapter 13 and 14 when they were a little afraid because Jesus was going to leave them. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He said, this is to your advantage. It's actually going to get better for you. It's going to be better than me being here on this earth. Okay? Which is an amazing concept on its own. And you see, church, there is a truth in Scripture in which there is this advantage of the Holy Spirit that we've got to really start to believe. That could it be? That could it be that a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit would actually be able to do greater things than what Jesus did, according to John chapter 14, verse 12? Where Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. I mean, do you really believe that? Do you believe that about yourself, the words of Christ? Amen? And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. He says, I'm sending you another counselor. It'll actually be better for you. And then he goes on and, and tells his disciples that you're going to get this message to the ends of the world. He says, I'm not going to be here, but you're going to pull it off. You're going to get this done because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't be afraid though. He says, just abide in me. Just abide in me and you're going you're gonna to bear a bunch of fruit. He says, don't be afraid. Don't, don't look at the mission and say, how are you going to get this message to the ends of the earth? He says, frontline church, don't be afraid and, and be concerned how you're going to get this message to cities and nations. He says, don't worry about it. I will send the Holy Spirit. He said, just abide in me. Just abide in me and I in you because apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, just abide in me and ask whatever you wish. He says, this is going to get done. Just keep abiding in me and, and, and don't start panicking because you don't have enough people to, to fulfill this mission or enough talent or enough power or, or enough infrastructure to make this happen. He says, just abide in me and trust in the Holy Spirit. But then when he's finished giving this discourse, Jesus prays something very interesting in John chapter 17, which you may be familiar with. And he says some things in John chapter 17 that can really test our faith. Where we may even say, you know, do I believe this? And if I do believe it, can I actually do this myself? 
And this is what Jesus prays to the Father. He says, as you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Absolutely love that scripture. It's a beautiful scripture. But there's a phrase that, that occurs in that, that passage a couple of times that seems to, I battle to wrap my head around. And it's that phrase, just as. I mean, I always knew that John chapter 17 was about unity and then that God wanted us to get along. And he didn't like the murmuring. He didn't want us to do things that would bring discord to the body. But the phrase, just as. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Are you, are you hearing what I'm hearing here? What was the prayer of Jesus? It was, Father, may they be one just as you and I are one. And he's not just saying that I just want them to get along. Or he doesn't say that I'm, I'm looking for something even deeper than that. I'm praying for something even more than that. He says, I want them to be one Father like you and I are one. Isn't that amazing, church? I mean, how close do you think the Father and the Son are to each other? And that's why this phrase, just as, seems so, so difficult to grasp. And if we're really honest with each, with, with each other this morning, that doesn't really make sense to us because we're so used to caring for ourselves and those closest to us, you know, our friends, our family, our spouses and, and our children. But just as, that doesn't quite make sense to us. And you know, up to a certain point, I don't know if I ever really believed that was possible. But you see, church, these things are possible with the Holy Spirit. That there would be this oneness that, that we would have. And this oneness, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And God's included in this, in this picture, because the scripture says it's, it's their connection to each other. They're connected to us. We are one. There's another phrase in the scripture that seems to boggle my mind a bit. Because after it says that they may become perfectly one, here's what it says. It says, so that, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me. So that. So why did Jesus pray for this perfect unity between, let's say, myself and Rob over there and everyone else in this room? Why did he pray for that? I mean, talk about mind-blowing. When you read the scripture, we don't really understand it because I would think, why would our unity cause the world to come to know that Jesus was the Messiah? I mean, I get this theologically, but I don't get this, this logically. Because when I think in my mind of how I am going to get the world to believe, how am I going to get the world to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, 
I would think it would be through means of apologetics or, or uh, evangelism or preaching the gospel or perhaps even worship. I would think it would be through explaining the prophecy in, in the Old Testament and of how Jesus was the fulfillment of that. I would think it may be through signs and wonders that would get people to start believing. And yes, all these things are relevant and all these things are absolutely necessary. And yet what Jesus is praying in this scripture is, Father, make them one so that the world may believe that you sent me and that you love them just as you love me. See, again, this doesn't quite gel in our minds, church. But that's where we go. Do we trust this book or don't we? You know, it's like saying, I don't get why we would march around the city seven times and blow a trumpet. Or why you would send a shepherd boy to kill a giant. But God says, just do it and it'll happen. You see, in our natural minds, we would think, you know, maybe if we just got some famous preachers to come to our church over the next couple of weeks and months, or we, if we got the Elevation worship team, or the Hillsong worship team to come and do worship over the next couple of months, that the, the world would flock to the church and give the heart to the Lord, right? You see, our logical mind tells us that we have to attract the world to the church through pleasure. But at some point, we're going to either have to believe the Word of God or not. Where it says, we've got to look at ourselves. Look at, our, look at the church. Look at our boat. And we need to ask ourselves, are we unified? Are we one as the Father and the Son are one? Because if that's the case, the world is going to start to believe. Paul says something amazing in, in Philippians chapter number 1, verse 27 to 28. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. And Paul says, if you guys would just strive side by side, not frightened in anything by your opponents, he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. And you know what, church? No one believes in their destruction out there anymore. They don't believe that there's a judgment to come. Which leads me to believe that the church hasn't fulfilled its mandate yet. They don't believe there's a judgment to come. Honestly, half the people in the church don't even believe there's a judgment to come. I'm just saying, turn to page 7 and you'll see how God destroyed everybody. Just go through the Bible, you will see the righteous judgment of God. You will see His, His grace as well, but you will see the righteous judgment of God. And people will say, you know what, you're just quoting out of the, the, New, the Old Testament. I'm saying, have you, have you gone through Revelation? Because He doesn't change much. God never changes. <laughs> no one believes in the destruction out there. But church, what the Bible says though is it's our unity when we're perfectly one, when we're striving side by side. The Bible says that they're going to start believing in their own destruction and our salvation. 
And again, this might not add up to you logically, but we need to make a decision that when, even when this book doesn't make sense to us, we're going to submit to it. And even when I think this, this book is wrong for some reason, I need to assume that I'm wrong. And I think a big problem in the world today, church, is whenever our intellectual minds tells us there's something wrong in this book, we need to assume that there's something wrong here instead. And this is what God is saying. He says, but I'm telling you, when you become one like the Father and the Son are one, when you become perfectly united, not afraid of anything, they're going to believe in their destruction. They're going to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they're going to believe that you were loved by God and that you were saved by God. That's what the Scripture uh, says. And that's how man will come to repentance. And church... Our work is to say, you know what? I know I get along with you all. But am I truly pursuing this oneness? The Bible puts it in this way in 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse 4 to 5. And I love the scripture. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says you're like a living stone being built up into a spiritual house. Do you ever think of yourself like that? That you're part of the temple? You know, a lot of times when we talk about the temple of God, we say, well, that's just us individually there's truth to that but usually when it talks about the temple in the new testament it refers to you plural instead of you singular like in first corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 to 17 where it says don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in your midst if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy that person for god's temple is sacred and you together, you together are that temple. You see, it's saying all of us. That's what it's saying. And it's this idea that it refers to in First Peter 2 that I'm a living stone that's part of that temple. And yes, there are other parts that talk about us individually being a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, He's in me. But there's an even more real picture here of us being stacked up together to become the temple of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that or if you've ever seen yourself in that way. So I've got a, a brick here this morning. And you're probably wondering what it was for. And you're probably wondering if I'm going to use the same illustration that Jared did last week when, do you want to catch this offense, brother? <laughs> so just picture this as a person. Let's just say, for instance, this is me. This is all my awards, this is all my achievements, this is everything I've wanted for my life, all my desires. This is what I've created for my life. I'm standing out here, I'm, I'm attracting attention to myself. This is my, this is my Christian walk, this is everything I've done in my life. I'm, I'm just trying to draw attention to myself. But you know what? Who wants to look at one brick on its own? Right? And I never thought I could be this person that could be standing on their own, doing something on their own, because what is the purpose of that? The purpose was always 
to be a part of something bigger, a part of something greater, right? And First Peter 2 is talking about how you're one stone and you just need to attach yourself in. And maybe initially you want, you want a position of authority. You want to be the guy that's right out in front. And you, you want to be seen by everyone. Instead of saying, well, it's just an honor to be a part of the temple. Right? Why? Because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that temple according to Ephesians chapter number 2. Have a look at the image. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And to think, I can join John, or I can join Zion, I can join Paul. I can be stacked into this temple with Mark and John and Peter. And I can be another piece of this amazing story. If you remember the story in, in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, when the temple was finally built, and fire comes down into the temple, and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, and everyone's on, outside on their face. No one dares come into the temple. That's why I want to be a part of the temple. Because these are the people that get to see the glory of God and to get to see the fire of God come down. The people that are out here on their own, doing their own thing, they don't get to see that. I want to be a part of this. I want to know I'm attached to the same thing that Peter and, and Paul were attached to. And I'm just another block in there. And you know what? I don't care if I'm a block right at the back or if, if no one ever gets to see me. Because the idea is, I want to see the glory of God. Come on. Who wants to see the glory of God? Church, I'm going to close with this this morning. In Acts chapter 2, in the upper room, when those apostles were, were praying together, where was the temple that day? It was in the upper room. And what, what happened in that upper room? The fire of God came down on it, didn't it? And it filled that unified temple on the day. And church, that unity, that oneness together with the Holy Spirit, it changed the course of history forever. And I want to be a part of that. God had a plan for the church and he says, I want you to be so in love with each other in a healthy way. So unified and when you're one as the, the father and the son are one, the world is going to start to believe. They're going to even start to believe in their destruction and your salvation. But we've got to stick together. We've got to strive side by side, not afraid of anything. And by this, we'll, the world will come to know the one and only true God. And church, it can only happen when we submit our, our life to this book and the power of the Holy Spirit to come and unite us as one. Amen. Can we give God all the glory for His word this morning? Church, would you stand with me this morning? We can just seal this word together in prayer. The worship team can come up. Thank you. Let's pray together. So thank you, Lord, 
this morning for your life-changing word. Lord, as you've spoken this word today, I pray that this word will fall into fertile soil. Father, today I pray that minds will change. I pray that thought patterns will change. I pray that our approach to your word will change so that we can start to walk according to your perfect plans and purposes for our lives. Father, I pray that every person in this body of Christ will align themselves with the word of God and that we would unite to become the church that you've called us to be. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would complete in us the work that is outside of our abilities and bring us to a place where we will see your glory. So this morning we say we love you, we respect you, and we fear you. And Father, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.